Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Women Make Waves podcast. Today, Ariel, Laura, and myself are hosting NC Fit member, entrepreneur, and longtime friend of the show, Linda Tang. You know, nothing gets my little hippie heart happier than chatting sustainability, and we do just that, talking all things about Linda's company, Contingency. We chat about immediate gratifications and the environmental impact of that, the dirty details of the clothing industry, and how to have an abundance mindset in entrepreneurship. If you guys are not fired up to make social change after this episode, I really don't know what will. Please, please, please make sure to head over and give the show a five-star rating and review if you loved it as much as we did. And while you're in the app store, go ahead and download the NC Fit app. We've got weekly programming, on-demand workouts, and both Bloom and I are coaches on the app. So you can get more fitness, more inspiration, and a few more hours with your favorite co-hosts throughout the week by downloading the NC Fit app. I've put all the ways that you can download that, get a hold of Linda, get involved with contingency, and everything else in the show notes. So please make sure to scroll down, check those out. And until next week, enjoy the show. Hey guys, we are sitting down today with our girl, Linda. Linda is, well, what isn't Linda? Linda is an amazing entrepreneur. She started a small business in response to COVID. She's someone we all look up to and we are here chatting with her today. We're super excited. Linda, our first question we always like to ask our guests is how are you making waves in your community? Well, first off, thank you ladies for having me. It's an honor to be on this platform and to be with you guys virtually. Hopefully we can all be in person uh, soon. And uh, yeah, so making waves to me uh, is creating a wake for women essentially. Uh, So they have, you know, inspiration. They have some kind of visibility to what women can be. Um, A little bit of history. Uh, so my mom immigrated over with my dad from Shanghai, China. She was 22, 23 when they came over, didn't speak English. They just worked super hard, owned their first you know, Chinese restaurant and just saved up and kept working and bought their first car wash and then just kept saving, building up the businesses and then bought more car washes and turned it into a franchise. Um, my grandma was one of the first female ear doctors in Shanghai, China during the 1960s when there were rarely any women in the industry in a communist country, uh, and also pregnant with my mom at the time. So I come from a lineage and, uh, examples of women that have just, you know, pioneered, uh, certain paths that people haven't done yet. And so In my mind, I don't know any different. I just know that women are strong. Women are powerful. Women can do it. Uh, So I've been very fortunate and grateful to see these as living examples through my grandma, my mom. And I hope to, you know, just help pave the way for other women. Uh, I wouldn't be here without my grandparents, without, you know, my parents just setting these examples, the work ethic, the determination, coming to our foreign country you know, learning different languages and starting up businesses. Uh, Entrepreneurship to me is uh, how we can all make an impact, especially bringing more women and people of color 
into entrepreneurship and owning businesses, that's when we're really going to bring the power back to the people. I really do think that's where we're going to make change and actually be able to move the needle. Right now, there's so much off balances. Uh, I'm sure most of you guys have worked in corporate, have had a taste of corporate. I came from the North Face, which is owned by VF Corp. Uh, they are a huge conglomerate. They're they're right under Nike or right next to Nike in regards to largest employees or largest apparel employee employer. They have over 70,000 employees all over the world. They own brands from the North Face, Vans, Timberlands, Smartwool, Jansport. So, um, you know, just being able to come from corporate and see the differences um, from, you know, entrepreneurship to corporate world and how to blend those two together. Uh, we're trying to really make an impact that way. Um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. So um, you guys, Linda, if I can interject for a second, um, for mm -hmm. our listeners who don't know, Linda owns her own business called contingency and they make amazing, amazing masks, um, for, you know, specialized for, um, workouts, activity, and just, just around town. And, um, I'm really curious if you could chat about, you know, what was the starting point of that? Um, what made you decide that that corporate culture wasn't for you? And then how did you make that transition into, you know, owning your own business? Yeah. So the, in 2019, North Face was moved by our parent company. They moved to Denver. Um, I was unemployed. Luckily I did have a severance. Um, and we were just, doing stuff on our home and then COVID hit. So we tried to get some of our domestic factories that we worked with to produce masks. We were doing a GoFundMe. We were just going off of donations. I had a lot of leftover fabrications and sports performance materials uh, from when the North Face moved and uh, none of the factories wanted to touch it. And granted, so like in March last year, we didn't know no enough about COVID. We, you know, they were scared. So we ended up just converting our two car garage into a micro modular manufacturing facility. And, you know, for when we first started, it was in like a cold, dark garage on a borrowed home sewing machine. So like we started from the ground up, literally from a cold, dark cement garage with like zero lighting. I had a headlamp on at night and I would take, and at that point we couldn't go out. We had, I was getting like, I was collecting food wires for the nose wire. We were just makeshifting whatever we could. I, w I should have brought my first prototype that I made in March. Um, you know, we, we should hang it because the girls, I mean, these are production engineers. They laugh at it because they see my stitch line, my workmanship, and it's horrible. But yeah, so we started in a garage um, and just the first, I think, 500 masks I did by myself. It was horrible. My back hurt. Like, it was painful. But uh, I'm glad I was able to go through it and, you know, treat everything kind of like a small experiment. I think my biggest takeaways here are, you know, it's okay to start small. It's okay to, it's not going to be glamorous. It's, you know, like when you peel back the curtain and you unpack everything, it's, you know, you're starting off with food wires. You're starting off with, you know, borrowed home sewing machines. You're starting off in a dark, cold garage. You're not it's not glamorous at all. Like we, you know, we're so blessed that we were able to get an actual industrial commercial space. Like I never thought this was going to happen, but things just kind of work itself out. And I also believe the universe kind of puts it in for you too. If you, 
you know, if you're thinking positive and um, you just, you have to take it day by day. You definitely have to be able to, you know, be able to problem solve. I think entrepreneurship is you have to love problem solving. You have to love being able to be like, okay, how do we get from point A to point B? There's no manual on it. You just have to be able to deviate. You have to be able to come back to it and be resourceful. Um, but yeah, so it was just through donations. And so we kept growing the business that way. And people kept coming back and telling us how breathable, how breathable and how comfortable the masks were. So we were like, okay. So then, you know, the first thousand was just based on donations. Whoever wanted to, you know, help uh, provide some kind of resource, we would just pump them out to the community, donate them to first responders, to anyone that needed them because we couldn't get masks back in March and April or May. And that's my segue to the other issue and how we're making waves is that, um, well, I know you guys are on mute, but you guys can answer and Laura might already know, but you know, can you guys tell me, um, what percentage you guys think is left of us manufacturing? Do you guys have an idea? No clue. So I'm the last 3% of us domestic manufacturing last 3% in the United States. So what does that mean? That means we are not resourceful. We are not capable of producing our own goods. This is why we cannot get anything in March, May, April, June. Everything is exported out. Everything is outsourced in third world countries. So in apparel manufacturing, 80% of it is done overseas in developing countries. My biggest wave that I think I'm making is the impact on how we're going to change apparel manufacturing into an equitable, sustainable, clean, and innovative business back in the States. You know, it's like with Ariel's topic on nutrition, right? Being closer to your food, where it's coming from. I'm a huge believer in that. It's just not my lane, right? Like I, I, we have chickens, we have a rooster, we try to grow our own vegetables when we can. I, I'm all for that. I think if everybody started making small little shifts like that, they have to be small micro shifts. You can't ask the huge, you can't ask the population to be like, oh, everybody go vegan. Everybody go zero waste tomorrow. It doesn't work. Everybody would be either turned off or overwhelmed. You have to give people micro doses, you know, small digestible hors d'oeuvres of like, here is some sustainable method, just like what you guys were introducing, right? You, you always start small. And with what we want to do with our company contingency uh, is to be able to bring back domestic manufacturing, clean, innovative, sustainable, and equitable. So can you guys tell me how much waste you think we produce as Americans in apparel? My guess Just is guess. 90%. So we throw out, U.S. Americans throw out about 90 pounds of apparel clothing a year. We say we donate it, you know, to Goodwill, but only 10% of it actually goes, actually gets used up at Goodwill. The rest either gets dumped in the landfill or shipped off into other countries and sits in, in, in their dumps or in their area. And then if you think about it, um, what are most of our, our textiles made from? They're usually synthetic. Cottons, yes, they will biodegrade at some point, but majority of our fabrications that we wear currently, everybody that's wearing right now is probably a polyester, a nylon, a spandex, 
some kind of synthetic man-made material. And then it kind of goes into play with our disposable masks too. So those blue disposable masks, it's polypropylene, which is the same derivative as you know polyesters. They're all from polymers. So guess how long that takes to break down? One disposable mass. 15 no, years. No idea. 20 years, 40 years, 90 years, 150 years. It's still going up. Give me the answer, Linda. Give me the answer. <laughs> 300 years for a disposable mass. Approximately 300 years for one disposable mass. Times that by how many billions of people out there wearing disposable masks? Times a year. Compounded. Just think about going on the street and how many you see on the side of the road and, you know, oh my God, why can't I think of it? The things that water go down. Gutters. Gutter. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> Words are hard. It's fine. Words are really hard. I, yeah, I read somewhere, this maybe could have just been very clickbaity. I don't know, but the, currently there's more disposable masks in the ocean than there are jellyfish right now. Mm -hmm. It's insane. They're killing marine life. It's killing marine life. It's, and I get it. Like our parent company is called Good Human. We called, we came up with the name because you're not perfect. We're doing the best we can with the resources we have, with the current knowledge that we have. Who knows? Using recycled plastics could be bad five years from now, 10 years from now, because we found out there's more microplastics that come off of it. We don't know that yet. But we're doing the best that we can with the current resources, with our current knowledge. If we know something's wrong, that's when we have to do what we have to correct course. But, you know, we're doing what we know right now is currently right. So I'm not saying don't wear a mask, you know, don't use disposable masks. It's when you can use a reusable one, um, you know, the disposable masks aren't meant for multiple use. I don't think people are purposely trying to litter. It's just they're not tested for long term. They break down, the strings pop off, or they fall out of your pocket, and you see them everywhere. But again, we're going to have an impact. There's going to be a negative impact because of all the disposable masks, uh, cutlery, plastics that we had to use because of COVID, right? So that's just COVID. But then if you look at our normal day-to-day -day as a consumer, look at how we purchase clothes. As U.S. Americans at, or U.S. You know, first world countries, Think about the rate that we consume clothing and just soft goods. We buy, we want instant gratification. We, we need it now. Oh, we have a party. I'm just going to buy this dress. Oh, we have this. I don't, I was that person. I was that consumer. I mean, I've worked for a huge conglomerate that produced billions of clothes for, you know, all over the world at the North Face. I worked, I was, I've been in apparel manufacturing for 14 years. I know I was part of the problem. And I need to correct that. I'm, this is why I started this company because we want to bring back clean, stable manufacturing because if I don't, we're going to leave a pile of shit behind for our kids, our future kids, and their grandkids. So if you do the math, if each American, this is just America, throws out about 100 pounds of clothing waste, that's 2 billion tons that are piling up, that can fill up the Sydney Harbor twice a year. That's how much clothing we're dumping out. And if it takes 300 years for polyester and disposable masks to break down, think about your nylons that are infinite. They're at, they don't, you can recycle nylon, 
why keep producing more nylon when we can just recycle it and turn it into new product? So if you do the math, we are literally leaving a pile of shit in our wake. And so we need to start making changes in how we consume and how we, and how we, you know, use our products and asking just small questions like where, where, where does this come from? What country of origin? Cause that is important because again, 80% of it is outsourced to developing countries and guess, guess who's working those, those machines. It's women. Is women of color with n n not the same equitable rights, equitable pay. It's this is what we're doing as when we're buying our clothes. It's just like when we think about the foods we eat, it's the same thing. Our skin is the biggest organ. So, all these textiles, all these apparel that's next to skin, if, you're, if you don't start questioning what's in the dyes, what's in the textiles, then that's when things are going to happen too. Like this is where we need to start making those micro shifts and in, in our consumer behavior, like where is this fabric coming from? Was it sourced equitably? Was it, you know, from a country that has higher regulations? So another question that I have is guess what the top three global polluters are. Ooh, Coca-Cola is one of them. I mean, it could be like food manufacturing, but keep going, like industries. Okay, industries. Uh, clothing. Clothing. Clothing is number two. So number one is petroleum, which goes into obviously our our plastics, our transportation, and it, 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 go, it, it goes into clothing as well. So number one is petroleum. That's the number one global polluter. Number two global polluter is apparel manufacturing, textile manufacturing. That's the number two global polluter. Think about that. Wait, tell us number three. I need to know number three. Number three is agriculture. So it's like the stuff, the off-gassing, the, the carbon emissions. And it depends on what rate you're, it depends on what, are you going off carbon emissions? Are you going off, so it depends on which, are you going off of water contamination? Are you going off of all that stuff too, like wastewater? So, but for apparel manufacturing, all the textiles, all the water it consumes, especially in un- in countries that don't regulate, they're just dumping out all the chemicals that go into dyeing your clothes, tanning your leathers into people's water sources in India, in Bangladesh, in China, in Southeast Asia. They're poisoning their water streams. Like, there's a reason why we stopped using Teflon. Like, Teflon is in pots and pans, right? It's in any anti-sticking agent, like on popcorn bags and in your uh, fast food packaging, all that stuff is waterproof like membrane. It's a DWR. And that was used in our clothing. And so if that stuff causes cancer, our, our clothes can cause cancer. But no one knows about this stuff. And I know I'm going to make enemies. I know we're going to have brands that are going to come after us because we're exposing them. And that's how we're making waves. But if we don't start putting a stamp, if we don't put our foot down and we don't start making changes, it's just going to be a shit show. We have to start making changes. We have, and we're doing it now. We've proven it small with our sports performance mass. That was essentially our pilot run. That, that was our experimentation. Can we make something that's innovative? Can we make something that's sustainable? Can we make something within a price point that people can afford? 
here in the United States. Yeah. And we did it. Can you touch a little bit more um, about what I obviously the masks are reusable and I know personally how you are doing this sustainably, but can you share with listeners what makes the contingency mask that much more sustainable over masks that are produced by other reusable mask companies? Yeah. Uh, so first we started with their supply chain and that's the biggest, that's the biggest uh, piece of the puzzle is your supply chain. So where are you getting the fabrication? How is it getting made? What's the material from? So we use the same vendors that we did at the North Face, which was um, down in LA, and it's from BPA-free recycled plastic bottles. So that's our first step, is finding a source that you know we can either get from trash, essentially, <laughs> from recycled consumer post plastics and recycled bottles. Putting trash on our face. Let's go. Pretty much. But we I do have it. an answer. Yeah. So, I mean, this we were doing, so like growing up in China, I lived in China for a little bit um, when my parents first immigrated over and there you don't waste anything. And I think that we were doing sustainability before it was cool, if that makes sense. Like you just, you would reuse like your tofu containers. Like you would, you know, like the ones that you would like, if you go to any Asian household, like first generation or like immigration over, you will see those tofu containers. They take off the top plastic and they still use the containers. Like we were, you, you doing- know, what, <laughs> you know what my family's was, this goes back to my redneck roots. It was, I can't believe it's not butter, like giant margarine plastic things in the fridge. And I would always have to like peek be like, is this actually margarine or is there spaghetti sauce in here? I Lindsay, I swear you're going to say Coors Light's can. No, but I do, I do to this day, I do to this day put my bacon grease in Coors Light cans. I don't I can't even with that. <laughs> They're the best planters. See, but that's, that's you want to propagate, propagate like a real redneck, use a Coors Light can. Tell you what. You guys, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, but that's how we're starting, you know, that's, that's the kind of thinking that we should all start doing a little bit, like before, recycle should be the end, recycling should be the end solution, because it takes a lot of resources to recycle, a lot of water, a lot of energy. First one is, how can we reuse it, or how can we upcycle it into something else? That's the first step. And again, we were doing that maybe because we were poor, we, you know, it was a third world country back then. Um, but that's just instilled in us. Like my brothers are the same way, you know, we're like we save our napkins, we save all the condiment containers. Like we just, we reuse Mason, you know, like the pasta Mason jars, like that just, it hurts my heart to throw away stuff. Like it generally hurts my heart. My boyfriend might be like, no, you're a fucking hoarder, but I don't like, to, I just don't like to waste. Like we have a compost pile, we have chickens, so we don't waste any, we have dogs, so we make sure that none of our food gets wasted. We, you know, try to reuse plastics, glasses if we can, any any of those things, because that all adds up. If one person does it, your friends see it, you kind of just start making lead by example, right? And little by little, it'll start to make those shifts. Compounded, times a million over time is when you're going to move the needle, right? That's, and I, that's how I approach it. I think Linda, going back to what you were saying a little while ago, you know, how disconnected everyone is. Um, I did, I did in my thesis in college on a topic very similar to this. And I think 
you know, it's something I've been wrestling for quite some time. And I think it's a very compounded issue, right? There's economical issues, there's, um, you know, supply chain issues, there's psychological issues for us, there's a general disconnect from the natural world, climate change, um, you know, what you're talking about right now, they're very slow moving problems. So they're not, it's not something that's in your face every day. And for us, we're all so out of sight, out of mind. And it's like, the question is, how do you, and you were saying micro, micro dosing information to people, but how do you get people to realize, you know, what's happening? And that, that's something that I think is such, such a huge question, but it's like a lot of us at the very root of it are just disconnected from what the real natural, beautiful world is. And if we don't mm-hmm. have the knowledge of that and the appreciation, then why would we change our habits to, to protect that? Um, I know that was like a super long spiel, but it, it's amazing to see what you're doing. Um, so I, I don't know. It's such, such a, a heavy inundated issue that, you know, I hope people can realize the change they can make before it's, it's too late. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's too late. I think we just have to start somewhere. We, you know, we're lucky enough, our generation and the one that's coming after us, I think is paying more attention to it. So I think we are lucky with that and that, that there is, I think, some hope and we have to have hope. We have to all just try. We can't just give up. We have to at least try. And I agree, like with your podcast, like the outdoors, again, I was very fortunate to work for the North Face. We part of our job was to go train with the mountain, you know, mountaineering team that are North Face athletes and go backpacking with them for four days. You know, when Summit Half Dome, like that was part, learn how to like love the outdoors. And if you don't go outside, you're not going to appreciate it. So I, I've, I'm a huge believer in just exposing people to the outdoors, you know, whether it's they've never gone camping, maybe take them glamping for the first time. If they've you know, you don't have to throw them in backpacking or mountaineering the first time, but like whether it's just going to the beach or just, you know, just getting in touch with nature, being next to a body of water, how that's healing. And I know with Lindsay too, like you, you're a big proponent in that. And I, you know, I do, there's a lot of data now, like a lot of scientific data now that proves that being outside next to a body of water, like the blue mind, that book where they've done MRI scans. And I forgot what they're called on the brain, but like they've, they have actual scientific data on how it calms your brain and allows you to actually go into a different part of your brain to get bigger ideas. That's why your ideas come in the shower because you're actually relaxed and in the body of water versus like when you're in your prefrontal and you're always planning, always, you know, analyzing and it's taxing on your brain and you can't think of bigger picture creative ideas until you tap into the back. And well, again, I don't know, I'm not a neuroscientist, but whatever part of your brain is, but you know, I, again, being outside, being in the outdoors, being a purveyor of, you know, nature is huge. And again, that shows connection that shows, again, you're going to appreciate what you have, right? And I think when you disconnect, you're not on your phone, you're, you can only when you backpack, you only have a couple pieces of clothing, you know, you're, you're, if you can, you're pumping your water from a natural stream or drinking it directly. And I think, that's a huge way to kind of connect and appreciate when you do come back to the urban jungle. Um, but again, going back to the, the mass, sorry, we just keep going on tangents. That's probably my fault because I've had so much caffeine at this point. 
That's uh, why we do podcasts. We, we yes. take whatever turn and then cut it. We want to do. We're not cutting anything, girl. We are live. Oh. When we do it live, we do it live. But yeah, okay, we, raw. Love, we love the tangential roadmap that is podcasting. Well, this is my brain. So you guys are pretty much getting my brain and audio. Uh, so then going back to the masks, the supply chain part is we try to either come from a recycled part or from dead stock fabrications. Dead stock fabrications are from pretty much factories that have closed down. So in the last year, three factories that produce for the North Face and other notable brands in the Bay Area have closed down. That's really sad. Like there, it's just all these production facilities don't have the business, don't have the demand. Part of it is them not investing in technology. And the other part is COVID and just the market's not here. So we were able to defy the odds and be able to produce a product that was in demand for a certain price point that was still done sustainable. So we were able to prove it with our mass. So the dead stock fabrications, we were able to get from vendors, from suppliers that were going to throw it out essentially into the landfill. And like I said, a lot of these are synthetic high performance fabrications that we used in tech climbing and alpine and camping and snow sports and waterproofing. So these are high end fabrications uh, that were either going to go to a landfill or to some third world country. So we saved and rescued all these fabrications. We had two freight containers from these factories that closed down. And so it's either sourced from the recycled element or from the dead stock. And then when we engineer it, we do small batch productions. So again, everything is done in-house. So we do the cut, so the engineering, the pattern making, the die cut, the laser cutting, the shipment, the fulfillment, the direct-to-consumer, everything is done in-house. The engineering is in small batches, the production, and we are directly connected with our our consumer. We are the consumer as well. We don't validate any product until we've worked out in it, until we've trained in it until we've been the guinea pigs. And then every batch is reiterated because we get feedback from our athletes, from our customers and redo it and then make improvements. So already our speed to market is 10 times faster than the traditional method of manufacturing, which is done overseas. So when you have a problem, let's just say Under Armour, they have their mass, right? By the time they get all the feedback, they have to send their comments to Vietnam, they have to translate it into Vietnamese, then their product engineer has to redo it, redo the tech pack, redo a sample, send it back to the United States to their design office, and then go fit it and test it. So by the time they've done that, COVID's already over. So we're doing it, we're already attached to the consumers, we're already training in the gyms, we're already with, you know, all the athletes getting the data real time, and then reiterating it the next day. So again, bringing it back to the bringing it back to the states is only going to help your your timeline, and you're going to get product innovation a lot faster. And then the next part of that is the warranty. We were the only company that warranted our face mask. No one else would touch it. That that in itself is huge. If we can repair an ear loop, if we can repair this head system, if we can repair the anti fog, if we can repair the nose wire you've already saved yourself that piece that's going to go into the landfill. So that already was what we did just with our face mask. And so what we're doing for other product lines is, you know, if we do white label for other brands, 
Um, so we're trying to team up with some other notable CrossFit athletes, women athletes. That's our other part is being able to give a platform to women athletes, like be their brand for when they want to launch a, a line, but sustainably. So we help them with all the product engineering, with all the body mapping for that specific legging, for that specific, so it's function. That's the other part too. We make it in five different sizes. We fit it to the athlete. That should go in hand with any apparel that's going to be performance driven or protective apparel, uh, especially like CrossFit or high impact type of uh, workouts where you need it to be a more uh, abrasive uh, resistant on the front because you're cleaning, because you're snatching, because of the, forgot what those are called on the barbells, the little like Gnarly. nubby things. The gnarlings, right? Those are braid every single legging that I've ever owned. All my all my seams, all my fabric on the front, or then rope climbs. Like, you know, where are you braiding there? It's like innovating those product lines for sports sports specifics. So that's what we're doing later on with notable, hopefully notable cross athletes and some other genres and other sports and helping them launch their line especially because they have a platform and they have an audience that will listen to them and start getting people into sustainable product lines and performance lines, but holding a warranty. It could be something small, just sourcing it from our supply chain that we have right now, which is all these fabrications. Why produce more fabric when you can be creative and use what you already have? And then with the mask, we're asking people to return them when they no longer need them so we can upcycle them into dog bedding. So it's having that close the loop. How do we end the product lifestyle appropriately by not putting it in the landfill, not having it end up in the oceans? That's so cute. So that's our product. I love that so much more than I even thought I was going to love it because I only knew like a fraction of all of that. Also, my dog is going to be probably dog bed prototype one because he would be psyched. Um, yes. But what I kind of a pivot in the conversation and maybe you have something to say on this, maybe you don't, but I'm so excited to hear that you are breaking into, especially the female market for fitness apparel, because I know for myself, Bloom, Laura, you guys have probably experienced this too. Like I put something on and I, the first thought in my head is like, what, what man created this fit because it is not for a woman's body and it's definitely not for an athletic woman's body like if i was 90 pounds and simultaneously 5'11 this might fit me but i'm not i have hips and quads and an ass and who created this yeah try being 5'3 and the same qualifications right so are you guys have you a ran into that do you have anything to kind of chat about that and B, what are you guys doing, especially working with female athletes in particular to address that? Yeah. Uh, so I kind of had the same problem. So most of my sports have been male-dominated sports. Uh, I did road racing on motorcycles, so track racing uh, for five or six years when I was in Orange County. So I raced, I had a Gixxer 600. And when you have to wear a full leather suit with like titanium side plates and. Just uh, also casually throws in that she's Iron Man. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't know that you did that or that you had chickens. So I'm also just learning <laughs> a lot today. <laughs> There's and so I'm many sides. Um, when we raced, uh, you had to have this full leather suit essentially, right? And 
uh, my frustration, and this is why I ended up going to FITM. So my undergrad was at USC, International Relations, Global Business and Marketing. And then I worked in sports marketing for a year. Again, all my industries that I've worked in uh, have been male-dominated industries. And then all the sports, I just, they end up being male-dominated sports. Uh, but yeah, so I picked up uh, motorcycle racing uh, when I was down in LA, in SoCal, and you couldn't find a suit that fit a woman. So like, again, I'm, I'm boxy, like I don't have hips, but I do have broader shoulders, but I'm still a girl. Like, and all the motorcycle gear was literally a men's jacket shrunken and they put pink on it. Like, what if I don't like pink? Like, I don't want to look like a lunchbox, like nothing fit. And that was part of the reason why I went to grad school was like, I was like, I'm going to design protective apparel for women that actually fit women and they feel feminine and still feel good in their clothes, but they're protected in their sport. So like, that was kind of where that was also when I was like 18. So, but again, uh, it's the same frustrations where a lot of stuff is built by men because it's dominated by men. Like even at the North Face, like it's all dominated by men. So we had to go through the whole bro culture, the whole thing where we had a fight just to get our women's line in there to be presented. Like, you know, it's, it's the same thing and that needs to change. And that's why we started, our whole company is ran by women, women of color. It's all women. Five people here are all women engineers. And there's nothing that I cannot do that they cannot. We all take rotations on each position. Everybody learns all facets, whether it's, you know, the online you know, shop part or the Photoshop part or the sewing part, the engineering part, the cutting part, the sustainability part, every facet, everybody is learning because we're trying to build strong women that can go back out there and create their own wake. And that's what, you know, we want to be an incubator for women to come here, start their own lines, start their own businesses. Like I want these women to go and start their own businesses. That's the whole point. So I don't know, that was a long tangent on my frustration with apparel not fitting women that yes, was we are that was perfect and what I love so much about that message is that I think so many women I'll actually just speak from my own experience I never felt like there was enough room at the top for me to lift others with me it took me a long time and a lot of healing and a lot of practicing humility to be willing to like be open to the fact that I can succeed and so can you and so can Ariel and so can Laura and it doesn't take success away from any of us. So was it a big mind, mindset shift? Was it something that just felt a little bit more innate? What made you so married to this goal of being an incubator and propelling other women into the workforce and to you know the upper echelons of success? Uh, great question. It's, you know, your mind, your mindset on the ab abundance mentality, right? If you choose your own perspective, you choose your own attitude. There's nothing else in this world that you can actually control other than your attitude and your perspective. You can't change the weather. You can't change people's opinions. You can't change how your dog acts, right? But the only thing you can change is up here. And that's your mindset. And my mindset, I chose you know, that there's an abundance. No one wants the same thing. And, you know, you, I also maybe part of my Buddhist roots, like I believe in karma, like you help other people, you do it out of the kindness of your heart. 
you help what you help who's closest to you. I can't, you know, change world hunger right now, but I know I can help these women. They're, they're right next to me. So whoever's closest to me by actual proximity, like I'm going to help if they want, if they want help, if they want to grow, I want to grow. And it's the same thing. I tell them to keep me accountable too. Like I need to grow too, as a leader, I need to grow too, as a entrepreneur and we're all going to make mistakes. So it's, you know, just choosing that mindset that no one wants the same thing. If you share the knowledge, it's going to come back at you. Um, otherwise, we're just going to end up like the traditional corporation. We're just going to end up like how it is at the top with males. Like it's no offense, all old white males, like at the top. I mean, when you look at the actual board of the North Face of VF Corp, it's all old white males. Like, there's nothing wrong with old white males. There just needs to be more women and people of color at the table. Some of these white old males helped me to get, get me where I am today. They mentored me. And I've been very, very grateful to have these people help me help other people too. I, there's no way I would have gotten to where I am without them. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying we need to add or make the table bigger. Love that so much. This entire conversation has been really near and dear to my heart. Um, coming from the food side more specifically, but just the idea of sustainability and the idea of rising the tides together has been, it's such a crucial aspect to our future as women, as a community, just as people on this earth. It's so incredibly huge. And you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I just would love to know if you have any resources for people who are looking to make some small shifts in their life to be more sustainable, to have more of this, you know, like heart-centered focus around the earth that we live on. So, and specifically, I guess, talking about their clothing, where they're sourcing their products. Like, do you have any resources for people for that specifically? Yeah. No, I mean, it's not going to just take our brand. Obviously, we're small fries right now. It's going to take the shifts of big brands like H&M, like Forever 21, like, um, you know, uh, Uniqlo, like Gap, all those brands. You can first, you know, write a letter. You can petition. We vote with our dollar. As consumers, you guys can boycott. You guys can choose. You guys can research. You guys can write them a letter or email them and tell them like you want them to, you know, do you have a sustainable line? Do you have something that comes from recycled materials? Do you guys hold a warranty? You guys vote with your dollar. So choose brands that you know are built well. I'm not saying don't buy expensive things or like Lululemon or buy things that you know are high quality, that you know you're going to use more than once that are going to last, that are durable you know, that are staple pieces, not fast fashion that self-destruct in two, two uses, right? That's not what I'm asking. Or if you do, you know, ask them to have a warranty. You know, it's simple shifts like that, where if we all started asking these questions and becoming a little bit more curious to where it comes from, where it's made, how many people made it, all these things, that's when it will start to shift. And Companies will change when their consumer set is asking them to because they know it makes money. That at the end of the day, that's that's what they care about, right? And I'm not saying don't 
money is important. Like I'm not saying we're, otherwise we'd be a nonprofit. We're not a nonprofit. We are a for-profit business. But again, looking at money as units of freedom, units of impact. We need money to be able to make a huge impact. We need money to, you know, obviously grow our team. They need to be able to have, you know, their livelihood. They need to be able to eat. Like we, money is important. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that money definitely we have to be profitable but there's how do you and i don't have all the answers either like but how do you create a brand create a business still be profitable but also make community impact make a positive change in the world so finding those two i don't have all the answers but i really do believe it lies with bringing more females bringing more women bringing more people of color more diverse backgrounds i really do think that's where the answer will come from Linda, I'm super curious. Do you have any recommendations for um, sustainable clothing lines or brands? If you know our listeners are trying to, you know, they're not super knowledgeable about brands that you stand behind that you could recommend. Yeah. So uh, there's the collective. They use they recycle fishnets from the ocean. So they pull up. I don't know if you guys have seen Sea Conspiracy. I would highly recommend it. You may not ever want to eat seafood again, but. Um, recycled fishnets so that's all nylon and they pull it from the oceans and then they recycle them into leggings there's uh september it's a um it's a surf line i think she also came from the north face uh and it's a sustainable surf line um swimsuit uh brand for women there's um you know and some of it i mean we can go on another tangent but there's like clean beauty too so beauty counter all those i think all all those brands make a huge impact in regards to sustainable, uh, healthy ingredients. Again, on your skin, if we're going back to like health, again, your clothes are on your skin, cosmetics are on your skin. And then, um, you know, North Face. I mean, I still believe in North Face in that sense where they were the first ones to hold a warranty. They have a lifetime warranty on everything. So whether it's a tent, whether it's your Alpine boots, whether it's your you know, Nupsy jacket, like if it's a manufacturer warranty, you can send it in, they'll fix it for free. Um, if it's something that you did, they'll still fix it. You just pay them whatever the, the labor was. And that's essentially what we took all the great parts from the North Face and essentially put that into our product lines and into our ethos in that regard. There's also a very, very cool thing happening right now in the regenerative agriculture space called the land to market certification. And it's mm -hmm. Um, I don't know all of the brands offhand, but it's basically just encouraging brands to practice sourcing from regeneratively raised, um, materials. So like regeneratively, regeneratively raised cotton, um, and I'm forgetting all of the other ones, but, but it's mm -hmm. the same concept. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's another really cool rabbit hole for anybody that wants to go down it because it's it's very cool right now to see the connection between where you're sourcing your food from and where you're sourcing materials to make your products from and i think that the fact that they can be married in that way is so incredibly powerful because there's so much waste from the food that we produce that could be solved and could be used as material so it's just a very like this conversation, I said it earlier, but this is so near and dear to me because 
it is marrying all of the things that we find so incredibly important. And so thank you for doing all that you do and for making the waves that you are making because it wouldn't happen otherwise. No, I appreciate that. And the thanks goes out to our team, to everybody that's, you know, all our, our community, everybody's helped us grow and, and really helped support us and, and believe, you know, part of it is we wouldn't be here without our consumers. We wouldn't be here without our community. Like you guys have to want it. You guys have to believe in it. You guys have to demand it. It's not me. I'm just trying to shepherd and move pieces around, but it's, it's everybody here. It's the people on this planet. It's the people that care. You guys are the ones that are making it happen. And it's just by that small shift in mindset, that small shift in perspective. And I think as we do that, as we lead by example, as this gets out and, you know, little things start to grow and that's how we'll see change. And um, just a little side note, actually, there is a brand called Milk Tea, something like that. And they use milk protein from dairy. So the leftover waste from like the dairy and they actually have been able to harvest it into like yarn and uh, knit it into fabrication. So it's a shirt from milk. So there are, there's innovation coming down the pipeline. There's this lab out in Berkeley. They're doing synthetic leather, which is based out of mushroom. So they're finding components that are kind of like, leather's horrible for the environment, horrible for the environment. There's only one tannery here in Auburn, which is in, I think, I forgot what state, not Auburn here, but in any other state, but Georgia. it's horrible for the environment. I think so. Yeah. But we don't have them here because the regulations are so strict. Um, you know, we're doing a sustainable pet product line. We're doing, it's called BioThing and it's a synthetic leather version, but it's more durable. It's made here and it's sustainable. So it's, you know, stuff like that, that we're really trying to you know, just put into the marketplace and people are like, oh, okay, it's built here. Oh, it's within a price point. Oh, it has a warranty. Oh, obviously it functions well. Like biggest thing is function. It has to function just like with our mass. I think the biggest anecdotal test is that which one do you end up choosing? You know, everybody has a collection of mass at this point. So which one do you end up gravitating towards? And then that's our litmus test essentially on like we were building it correctly. We're engineering it correctly. This has all been so amazing, Linda. I know that we carry the contingency masks on the NC Fit shop, but if people want to go straight to the source, if they want to get connected with you, with the contingency team, how do people find you? Yeah, so you guys can uh, check us out on our Instagram handle. It's contingency spelled with an I because I couldn't afford the $40,000 contingency with a Y domain. <laughs> but it looks cooler anyways. But yeah, so it's uh, it's a mouthful. So just know that next time, don't name your your brand a really long name. But it's c o n t i n g e n c i dot com or at contingency. And then my personal handle is just my last name Tang T N G Linda L I N D A. Hell yeah, Linda. Well, whether it's masks or putting your bacon grease in a Coors Light can, listeners, I hope you found something to take away from today's episode to make your life a little bit more sustainable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sure we'll have you back on the show again. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.